Welcome to False Flag Weekly News, the weekly news show that brings you the wrap-up of all of the hideous things that happened this week, uh, peeling back the superficial layers to see what's really going on. I'm Kevin Barrett with guest host and commentator E. Michael Jones. Welcome, Mike. Good to have you back. Thank you, Kevin. Good to be back. Yep. It's, uh, hey, it's another False Flag Weekly News broadcast, and we'll begin by the obligatory announcements. Uh, False Flag Weekly News does not accept funding for the Milibaginda Gates Foundation, the George Soros Open Society Institute, the Heritage Foundation, the Les Wexner Erratic Underwear Trust Fund, the Take This Money and We'll Make You a Zombie Foundation, the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency Special Fund for Bat Coronavirus Research, or the Jeffrey Epstein Memorial Fund. I understand Alex Jones applied for the Wexner and Epstein Foundations, uh, asking for three underage lingerie models plus $100 million to pay off Lenny Posner. Sounds like Alex's nail enhancement product is working. So, hey, whatever you want to say about Alex, he's got cabrones. Uh, I mean, cojones, excuse my Spanish. Anyway, here we are giving our weekly disclaimers. Question everything. If you can't ask questions, you're in serious trouble. Go somewhere else. And if you find this matter disturbing, go be disturbed somewhere else. Okay, we, we got rid of all of our uh, disclaimers, I think. Oh, one more. Medical mental health disclaimer as usual. Don't take our advice. See your physician. Okay, here we go with the show. Uh, this is our image of the week. Uh, Mike, what do you think about those Southwest uh, pilots? Yeah, it was bad weather, but it was only bad weather for Southwest. Every other airline was okay. Well, that's because no. it was bad weather in the Southwest, right? Like well, Eastern no. Airlines, uh, it was fine in the East for Eastern Airlines. And well, actually, there's no more Eastern Airlines, is there? It was fine no. in America for American Airlines. No, but it turns out that that wasn't the story. That wasn't the real story. It was a sick out. Uh, basically, the uh, Southwest pilots decided they're not going to go along with the mandate. And that put the head of Southwest in a uncomfortable situation. Do I follow the government mandate because they're a federal uh, contractor? They carry mail and so on and so forth. Or do I staff the go with my pilots uh, and they had to cancel 2,000 flights because the pilots wouldn't back down in refusing to go along with the VAX mandate. So of course, that's, that's just a conspiracy theory, but it's also the truth. Uh, so yes, you know you it's do? the truth because three, uh, you look on Google, three fact checkers said it was the weather. You know that's a lie because fact check gets involved. <laughs> that's the world we're in right now. Just check the fact checkers and the truth is the opposite. So That's right. That's right. Very <laughs> okay. simple. Yeah, we're we're living in a, in one of those Halloween horror movies where everything is is uh, the horrible opposite of what it's supposed to be. Yeah, I guess maybe a David Lynch uh, remake of of some Halloween horror movie. Anyway, what's our next slide here? I think it's a promo for the upcoming global live stream on Terror False Flags featuring Richard Gage, Laurent Guyano, Feroz Mithibarwala, and yours truly, hosted by Bonnie Faulkner of Guns and Butter. So that should be a great event. Uh, you can get your tickets from noliesradio.org. And let's see, one more announcement. Uh, uh, let's see, Rudy Rudy Dent uh, passed away this week. He's a hero of 9-11 Truth. Uh, and uh, this this is from Christopher. I guess Christopher Boleyn um, spread the news on his Facebook page. And uh, we'll miss Rudy. I, I got to meet him in Detroit when we had that event with uh, Richard Gage, uh, Christopher Bolin, and myself speaking to about 5,000 people at the Savior's Day event from the Nation of Islam. And Rudy was a, a lot of fun. He's, he's actually a, uh, you know, quite a character and a, and a great guy. Um, 
And uh, before we move move to our stories, also we should send out prayers for John Shuck, our False Flag Weekly News colleague, who's uh, very ill right now. So everybody send good vibes and prayers uh, for for John and his family. Um, So now moving into our stories of the week. Uh, This is the stuff that we're not allowed to broadcast on YouTube because one or both of us might say something that some uh, medical fact checker wouldn't agree with or some automated AI algorithm at YouTube wouldn't agree with. Uh, so uh, here we are in the, the YouTube-free segment of the program talking about this story. The inventor of mRNA technology says that the fully vaccinated do spread COVID. Indeed, they can be super spreaders because the vaccine uh, does uh, make their make serious symptoms less likely. However, if you have no symptoms, but you also have a lot of virus in you, which happens with at least some vaccinated people, sometimes you might be going out in the world and the virus might be spreading. So uh, I don't know about peer-reviewed studies on this particular issue, but I think the inventor of the mRNA technology has the right to speak his mind, but YouTube doesn't agree. That's why we're not broadcasting this on YouTube. Yeah, well, the facts are pretty, pretty, uh, simple at this point. It's sorting itself out over a period of time. And, uh, it looks as if the, uh, the world reached uh, herd immunity at the end of, uh, last year, but that wasn't in time for the, for the vaccine. And so the, 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 uh, the uh, pandemic had to be artificially put on life support so that they could roll out the vaccine. And now that the vaccine has been rolling out, the pattern is also clear. The places where they are most highly uh, vaccinated, the highest percentage of vaccination is also now the highest level of COVID incidence. So it looks as if the, the the actual virus was just a pretext to get you to take the vaccine, which is now the co- main cause of problems. Well, Robert Malone uh, did make some interesting observations in this story from Children's Health Defense. Uh, he railed against the Canadian policy of offering free ice cream to children to get them to take the jab without their parents' approval. It sounds like something some guy in a trench coat would do. And uh, he also, speaking of people in trench coats, he, he pointed out, actually, uh, he didn't point out, I'm pointing out that in San Francisco's Tenderloin District, Nancy Pelosi is offering junkies a free shot of heroin and a lifetime supply of needles if they take the jab and promise to vote Democratic. Uh, sorry, that, that was a noble lie. That is, it's a, it's not technically true, but it kind of captures the spirit of the zeitgeist. Um, so let's move on to the smallpox question. Mike, do you think vaccines in, uh, eradicated smallpox? Yeah, of course they did. But smallpox is kind of different from coronaviruses. Smallpox is one thing. Uh, you've got another, other diseases that have disappeared during this period of time. First of all, smallpox vaccinations were problematic. Jonathan Edwards died of a smallpox in vac- vaccination. Okay, but then you have other... T- what what happened over this period of time is that you had the germ theory of everything. So everything was caused by a germ. Uh, so you had something like tuberculosis. Well, there's a germ there too, but did uh, was there ever a vaccine for tuberculosis? No. What caused the eradication of tuberculosis... Uh, which killed my uh, grandmother and my aunt in the 1930s was good nutrition. And so uh, everything gets subsumed into this germ theory idea. And then you have a virus theory idea. And then you have HIV, which it turns out was a lifestyle disease. But we have to find a virus because some medical company can make money off of something 
Whereas if it's simply, oh, don't do that in the bathhouse and you'll have a healthier life. No, that's not going to work. Same thing with uh, food. Uh, uh, Rockefeller's got involved in promoting uh, vitamin B uh, as a cure for pellagra, which is true. But the fact of the matter is that the sharecroppers who all had pellagra didn't have adequate diets. They had to grow cotton, uh, uh, tobacco right up to the shack wall. And so they couldn't grow their own crops. And so what you're seeing here is this category of uh, the mind, namely the germ theory, being imposed on lots of different diseases that really where it doesn't apply. Well, I agree that the terrain theory makes more sense than the germ theory per se, although the terrain theory doesn't uh, deny that bacteria and viruses are involved in illness. It simply says that the terrain of your microbiome, that is the part of your body that is not you, that is uh, virus and bacteria and fungus and all of these microorganisms that makes up more than 10% of your body weight and dominates your gut, among other parts of your body, that uh, having that uh, microbiome being a rich diverse ecosystem keeps you healthy. And then when it gets out of balance, like any other ecosystem getting out of balance is when you get unhealthy. And yes, certain uh, species, that is in this case, germs, uh, multiplying wildly is part of the story of it getting out of balance, but it's not the whole story. So uh, as far as vaccines and smallpox go, though, this particular story is a good example of something that's true uh superficially yeah probably vaccines did play the major leading role in eradicating smallpox but it's a lie by implication because it's implying that the same would be true of covid and that's just not the case uh coronaviruses are very very different from smallpox and there's a long list of ways that we could get into about that but uh this whole article is implying that this would be true for covid as well if everybody would just get vaccinated there would be no more covid-19 that's a complete lie according to all of the establishment as well as the non-establishment uh, medical and scientific evidence and the issue is does the vaccine wreck your immune system is it going, are you tampering with your immune system and making yourself more likely to get a disease than if you hadn't gotten the vaccination Indeed. And that's uh, that's a hotly debated topic about to what extent that some vaccines may be disrupting people's microbiome, among other things, and their, the, the balance, uh, ecological balance between the microbiome and the immune system. It's uh, it's a lot more complicated than the simplistic versions of the germ theory and the vaccination mandates uh, would tell us. But of course, we're not allowed to say that on YouTube. So we finished with our uh, medical discussion. And now we're moving on to purely social issues, which we are allowed to talk about, at least at this point on YouTube. Um, so Southwest uh, pushback against pilot mandates. This is the Alex Berenson story. We already talked a little bit about that. Uh, and American Airlines is getting into the act, too. They had 300 flights canceled in one day, 10 percent of its total. And it looks like, as you said, Mike, the airlines are backing off. They originally said they were going to fire everybody who wasn't vaccinated. And now they're saying, well, we're going to work with everybody and help them get uh, exemptions. And we're not going to fire anybody. So that yeah. sounds like a big change. Yeah, Kelly backed down. He said he can't afford to get rid of those pilots. So he said, OK, if you don't get the vaccine, we'll find something else for you to do. So you'll have the pilots maybe sweeping floors in the terminal or something like that. And God knows who's going to be flying the airplanes, but uh, it, it has been a major reversal for, for those people. This may be the cunning of reason, God working in human history, uh, bringing back labor. Labor suddenly is uh, uh, showing that it has some type of power if people organize. So it's not just airlines. It's the police, the police department, the police union in Chicago 
Lori Lightfoot, that great statesman, has given them an ultimatum. And uh, the police said, no, we're not going to quit. And no, we're not going to get the vaccine. So now what are you going to do? So if, if, if solidarity makes us strong, uh, I think that that's, that's the message that's coming out of this, of the COVID, uh, debacle. Well, I guess every worker could just stop doing their work and we could see whether the transhumanists are right and robots and artificial intelligence could pick up the slack and we could live happily ever after. But somehow I don't believe that fairy tale. And we will be talking about that as well as more about labor issues later in the show. But now moving on to, uh, this new report at Children's Health Defense uh, discussing the COINTELPRO-style infiltration of the freedom movement. I had Kat McGuire and Tessa Lina on my show last night talking about this issue. It seems that the government and its friends want to brand the health freedom movement, which is very diverse, as a monolithic right-wing group so they can classify them as extremists or even domestic terrorists. Um, so Kat McGuire is still uh, operating and, and creating these great you know, demonstrations in New York with thousands of people. But uh, she and other people in the freedom movement have noticed that this article seems to be correct, uh, that indeed there is a COINTELPRO style effort to infiltrate and disrupt the freedom movement. So if you're in the freedom movement, read this article and watch out for those sneaky websites and URLs and telegram addresses and stuff that look like the real ones, but are just a little bit off and they could uh, lead you down the wrong rabbit hole. Yeah, well, Robert Kennedy's white, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. But isn't that one step from being a white supremacist? Yeah, I guess the whole the whole Kennedy family was a bunch of Irish supremacists. So uh, is anti-Semites by definition. There, there you have it. There's the whole link. Who knew that it, the whole thing was run by white supremacists? But once again, you have identity theft as part of the oligarchs' way of staying in power. You deprive people of their real identities. You impose a pseudo identity on them that demonizes them. And then you, they have no rights anymore. You can dismiss them and, and go on and uh, rule unimpeded. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I can hardly keep the real groups from the fake groups straight. Like I, there's, I think Americans, is it America's frontline doctors is the real one and America's frontline MDs or something is the fake one. You know, it's, it's kind of ridiculous that, that they're doing this. And all it shows is that this health freedom movement is extremely vibrant and growing and posing a threat to somebody. So they're spending money to try to stop it. And that just tells me that, hey, time to jump on that train and do your homework, figure out who are the real groups and the real people and who are the infiltrators and uh, keep it nonviolent because the infiltrators love to get you doing stupid violence, uh, counterproductive violence. And, uh, and, and keep going. I mean, I, I think people at, in this movement actually are, as, as, uh, Tessa Lena and Kat McGuire said on my radio show last night, having a great time. They're feeling free. They're breaking through the conditioning, the fear-based conditioning and getting out in real life and interacting with each other in a supportive and loving way. And, and this is energizing them. And, and that's what's scaring the bad guys is because there's this positive vibe associated with this movement. Yeah, and the fact that it's not raining out when they say it is raining out, and the fact is that everybody's going, at least in this neck of the woods, everybody's going about their business in a pretty normal fashion, and uh, people are not sick. I don't see it. I mean, some people get sick, and then they get over it, and that's contradicting the narrative. So this is good that because the people are aware there's an official narrative that's not telling them the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I don't know. I, I, my position on, on the actual COVID is that it is a it's a biowar agent uh, targeting economies 
And it is nasty, and it's nastier than your normal flu, uh, but it's not end-of-the-world smallpox nasty either. And the cures that were being offered are, in some cases, uh, not the not the right ones, not the optimal ones. The real cure would be to shut down the bioweapon sector so this kind of stuff won't happen again with something a heck of a lot worse. But that's another discussion. We can't talk about the medical issues in this part of the show. So let's talk more about the political issues by bringing up Greg Abbott, who is uh, now imposing a an anti-vaccine mandate. No, he's not forcing everybody to take back their vaccines and stick a needle in their bodies and withdraw whatever it was that they stuck in their bodies in the first place. No, no, he's not going to force people to not get vaccinated. He's just uh, putting out this executive order saying that nobody can force people to get vaccinated in Texas. And he says that his state mandate supersedes the local, county, and federal mandates. And I'm sure that the federals, uh, the, the feds, as well as the local and county people may not agree with that. So it's all a big uh, confusing mess. But uh, it's it's creating an interesting kind of political clash. Uh, so, Mike, who's going to win this clash? The poll, the mainstream media tells us the polls say that uh, most Americans uh, support vaccine mandates. But in Texas, Greg Abbott apparently doesn't think so. Well, it's going to come down to uh, the resurrection of states' rights and representative government. And I think that the tide is heading in the other direction. The zeitgeist is going in the opposite direction from the centralization of power that took place after World War II as the prerequisite for the uh, foundation of the American empire. It's heading in the other direction now. And people, and, and again, uh, the, the agent of this is overreach on the part of the people who are in, in charge. Biden was in a very weak position when he became president and he decided to tough it out, play the tough guy. It's true because I said so. And he went a step too far with that vaccine mandate. And now he created the opposition that he didn't want to create. He shouldn't have done that. And so now he created a golden opportunity for Republican governors like Abbott or DeSantis in Florida for reasserting the power of the state against the federal government. The other uh, straw in the wind is abortion. These same states are, are challenging the uh, uh, nationwide acceptance of abortion. Mississippi is the latest state to do that. They had the chance that to, they thought, I'm talking about they, meaning people like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, thought that they could impose a national consensus on abortion in the same way they had done for the civil rights movement, and they failed. And the Supreme Court now, I think, is aware that there's going to have to be a state's rights regional solution to this problem because it's impossible to impose a national mandate anymore. It's not going to work. Well, it wasn't just uh, the airline, Southwest Airlines, that backtracked a little bit on its policies. The Catholic Church, uh, dear to your heart, Mike, also may be backtracking a little bit. Uh, The uh, Archbishop uh, for the Military Services, Timothy Broglio, said this week that, quote, no one should be forced to receive a COVID-19 vaccine if it would violate the sanctity of his or her conscience. So that cuts against some of the earlier statements coming out of the church, basically supporting the vaccine mandates and uh, de-emphasizing the issues around the uh, abort- aborted uh, fetal tissue in some of the research that led to these vaccines. Now, Broglio was appointed by Pope Benedict in 2007. So there's a a whole discussion in the church about this. And as uh, perhaps America's leading Catholic intellectual, maybe you can help elucidate it, Mike. 
Yeah, there was a, a default setting at this point in the papacy of Pope Francis that had been established by the Jesuits. Francis is a Jesuit, the American Jesuits, which was basically a pro-oligarchic stance for the Catholic Church that contradicted the, the real constitution of the Catholic Church. That is simply not part of what's going on. But it, they had taken power in the church and they issued statements early on that were not consonant with church teaching. In other words, uh, claiming that you had a moral responsibility to get vaccinated. That was wrong. That was flat out wrong. It was an immediate reaction to the COVID. And over time, it gets sorted out. And now the real tr tr teaching is coming forward. Uh, Janet Smith did a good job in explaining traditional teaching. Uh, recently, she used to teach at Notre Dame. You can have momentary perturbations uh, but when you have an institution that's as old as the church, a 2,000-year-old institution, uh, it, it reaches equilibrium after a while. You come back to the traditional teaching sooner or later, and it looks as if that's what's happening right now. So the, the Christians uh, are definitely being heard from on this issue. Another Christian who's being heard from, but now the judge is telling us that he's going to be heard from in speaking uh, out of both sides of his mouth is Pastor Arthur Pawlowski. Uh, now, with a name like Pawlowski, you'd think he'd be a Polish Catholic, but if he's a pastor, I don't know. I, I don't. He's not a pa Catholic, is he? Like, no, no. He's you know, a, I mean, we Muslims can't keep you guys all your crazy know, Christian sex like, straight. It's like, it's like the Sunni and the Shia and the Sufis right, for the Christians. It's exactly Sunni Shia uh, yeah, type yeah, of complexity yeah. here. But I think he's a a Protestant pastor from Canada, which means it's a whole different ball game. It's Canada. It's Chinatown. It's different in Canada. You know, and for some reason that I don't quite understand, these former colonies never got over their inferiority complex vis-a-vis uh, -vis the, the oligarchs. Canada and Australia come immediately to mind. And so they are easily subverted, uh, probably because of the division in Canada between the French and the English speakers, easily subverted by oligarchic government institutions. And so, therefore, the guy has been deprived of his right to preach the gospel. No, he, he can say anything he wants. He just has to contradict himself as soon as he says it. Yeah. So that, you, I mean, that, that's the craziest judicial order I've ever heard. Yeah. So that's that's the type of irrationality that you get into when you impose this uh, draconian uh, uh, measure from the top from the top down. And it's ridiculous. It contradicts itself. But then again, it, it'll have to sort itself out over time. You can't go along this way. You know, there's an easy way to solve this problem, which is stop imposing these ridiculous, irrational commands from on high. That's not going to work. Well, you know, Mike, I always sort of thought that maybe if someday the USA went totally nuts and I couldn't exercise my free speech rights on false flag weekly news in the USA anymore, I could escape to Canada. But now it looks like if I try to escape to Canada, false flag weekly news is going to be one long list of disclaimers. Like everything I say, I'll then have to immediately contradict myself. That would be a very schizoid version of false flag weekly news, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, it's not the Vietnam War anymore. Uh, we're way beyond the Vietnam War when people used to go there for a political asylum. So it's, we are, I think we are the freest place on earth right now when it comes to free speech. Which isn't really saying that much, is it? It's not saying much, but I mean, let's be thankful for small favors here. There you go. Yeah, that's true. We should be grateful to God for all of the uh, bits of goodness that could be shining through behind the, the dark appearances, uh, including the fact that there still is sort of uh, a bit of a First Amendment left here in the United States. 
But one area where it doesn't fully apply, apparently, uh, here and even more so elsewhere, is uh, in saying things that the Israelis don't like. And one of the things the Israelis probably don't like us saying right now is that Gordon Duff might have a point in this article, which he goes over all kinds of exhaustive evidence that the supposed fertilizer explosion in Beirut was, in fact, an Israeli nuclear attack. Uh, Gordon says that fertilizer by itself will not explode. You have to make ANFO by basically putting it in a blender or the equivalent and mixing it with fuel oil or some other kind of hydrocarbon. Otherwise, it's no more explosive than a sack of flour. And uh, so this story, this official story is completely insane at a long list of levels. And Gordon was on my radio show during the first hour last night talking about that and You know, the Israelis seem to think that they can get away with just about anything. And sometimes I wonder if they might not be right about that. For the time being, I think he makes a plausible case that it was a nuclear weapon. Uh, I I, I think I think when he tries to stretch that to 9-11, I think it becomes less plausible. Mm -hmm. But I think that uh, clearly that uh, the the Israelis are waging war on the on the uh, on Lebanon because of Hezbollah. And so the recent uh, sniper attack is just a continuation of what looked like a nuclear attack here. And they can do uh, anything they want with impunity because they get to control the narrative. And they get to, as I said, the whole point of this is to impose your categories of the mind on categories of reality. So the explosion went off and they're trying to say fertilizer and he's trying to say uh, nuclear weapon. And I think he's got the more plausible argument. Well, a lot of folks in the region believe that, too. Uh, This article has been read by heading for half a million people in English, but uh, it's been viewed many dozens, if not hundreds of millions of times in the Middle East. And it's common knowledge in the Middle East that Gordon is right. And the reason this article is back uh, uh, making headlines again is that sniper, mysterious snipers just gunned down a whole bunch of peaceful protesters who were protesting against the cover-up of this Israeli nuclear attack on Beirut. And those uh, the protests were led by Hezbollah. And so some of the Israeli stooges in Lebanon apparently gunned down these peaceful protesters. So if you're not even allowed to go out and peacefully protest calling for a real investigation of an Israeli nuclear attack on your city, uh, you're in bad shape. And so Lebanon is in bad shape in a whole long list of ways. Yeah, but you've got to take it full circle and blame the government. The Lebanese government is killing its own people. So therefore, we need to intervene into into Lebanon. That's that's the real playbook. It was in Maidan and the Ukraine. It happens repeatedly. It was, that was the whole playbook in Syria as well. Uh, but apparently they didn't go full, full uh, playbook here with this one. Well, they can't go full playbook on Lebanon because Hezbollah has enough missiles to flatten Israel. But this nuke was Israel saying, don't even think of using your missiles to flatten us because we can flatten you. In fact, we can hit you with a nuke right now and you can't do anything about it. Well, what Hezbollah and its supporters wanted and a lot, most of the people in the region want to do about it is ex- expose it. But nobody will print it in the United States except veterans today. So, you know, if you control the international media, as the Zionists do, you can get away with just about anything. That's why they're getting away with it. And that's what we need to change. And that's what we are changing with our media criticism show here at False Flag Weekly News. Um, Well, Israel not only reserves the right to nuke Beirut, but they also officially are saying that they reserve the right to attack Iran at any moment to 
supposedly prevent Iran from getting any nukes, but Iran doesn't even want nukes. It's not developing nukes. Israel has hundreds, some say more than 400 nuclear weapons, one of which it apparently already used on Beirut, others of which it may have used elsewhere and in such operations as the murder of Rafiq Hariri in Lebanon, which was done by an Israeli mini-nuke, according to Veterans Today sources. Um, so Israel is, is just out of control in terms of its arrogance here. It can attack everybody else for doing nothing uh, it, by accusing them of doing what it itself is openly doing. It's insane. Yes. But then again, there's COVID in Israel. Uh, and that may be the cunning of reason that we're looking for, uh, because the Israelis prevented the Palestinians from getting the COVID sh- uh, vaccine. And now it turns out that uh, the, the Palestinians are fine, but the Israelis are suffering from uh, uh, increased increased COVID cases because they were vaccinated. Israel is one of many countries throughout the world where you have high vaccination rate and high infection rate at the same time. So who, who knows? Who knows? So so th- this was the RT version of the story about Israel threatening Iran. And it's a pretty balanced, uh, reasonably fair and balanced take. In the next slide, we see the Guardian version of the story, which uses this euphemism Plan B uh, to describe Israel launching uh, a uh, unprovoked attack on Iran against its nuclear program. It's interesting how this Plan B euphemism gets used a lot. Remember Team B? Uh, that was the Zionist hardline militarist Henry Jackson f- faction during the Cold War. And then that Team B from the Cold War morphed into Team 9-11, the neocons that did 9-11. And it may very well have been a certain Team B that attacked America on 9-11. That is the red team in a kind of military exercise in which the blue team, the Americans, pretended to defend themselves but actually didn't, actually stood down as the red team, that is the Israeli faction, attacked us on 9-11. Uh, so this, this Team B, uh, metaphor is part of the Guardian's, um, you know, which is an MI6 publication, uh, cover up and it's, it's, uh, propaganda aimed at Western audiences, uh, playing everything to try to minimize the outrageousness of Israel's arrogant insistence that it will attack anybody that it can accuse of doing something that it itself is doing, uh, vastly more. Yeah. Well, you're also leaving out plan A. There's a new, a new Israeli movie called Plan A. And Plan A is about how a, a group of, uh, Jews after World War II get together and decide to poison the water supply for all of Germany. How many were they trying to kill? Like 10 million Germans or something like that? Yeah, this is, this was also, first of all, and, and, and they're saying what a good thing this is. Because we Jews, we're not going to sit by and take this. We're going to poison the civilian population by ruining the water supply. No, no, you can't, you can, we can't talk about this, Mike, because that, that's an anti-Semitic trope. You know, Jews poisoning the well, the wells and things like that. I know it is an anti-Semitic trope. And this is an also a, a Jewish fantasy that just got made into a movie. So, uh, so, so why, why did Jews love anti-Semitic tropes like, like Jews know. poisoning millions of people? I think because, uh, it's part of their, uh, part of their, uh, revenge fantasy. Uh, but, but the, the other point is that this was also at a time when the Jews were actually trying to starve the Germans to death with the Morgenthau plan. And, and it, this was going on the summer, uh, the winter of 1946-47 is known as Das Hungerjahr in, in Germany, uh, because they almost did starve to death. 
And it was only uh, Cardinal Frings of Cologne who told the German people, if there's a warehouse and it's got food in it, you have a right to break in and take the food because no one has a right to starve you to death. Well, Mike, so according, according to some historians, uh, uh, well over a million, uh, into the, possibly into the millions of Germans did die under that occupation, many of them from uh, Germans in neighboring countries, not in what's now Germany. They, they were ethnically cleansed, and that ethnic cleansing process often involved people dying. Well, there was a huge flood of people, Germans, 11 million Germans fleeing the Soviet army, coming from places like Ostpreußen, uh, the Sudetenland, and uh, and uh, Silesia, uh, into, into a country that where the infrastructure was systematically being destroyed by Allied bombing, and there was already a food shortage. So it it was a a, a tsunami, a a a a, a, a con, con, confluence of all of these horrible things that led to the deaths of millions of Germans. And no one talks about it. No one's allowed to talk about it. Yeah, because uh, the people controlling our media just want you to cheer for the deaths of millions of Germans. Uh, it's kind of disgusting. Well, uh, and they also probably would like you to cheer for the deaths of millions of Iranians, too. Uh, moving on to our, our third story about the Israeli threats against Iran. This is me on Press TV. So this is is the version that's openly uh, sympathetic with Iran's position in this situation. Uh, so people can look at these three versions. We've just summarized RT, the Gar- for RT for the kind of neutral version, the Guardian for the Zionist Western version, and uh, Press TV for the sympathetic to Iran version and see what they think. And that's, that's the way you have to learn about what's going on in the world is look at the different points of view and critique them and figure out uh, which is right and, and so on and so forth. But in terms of the, the issue of Israel and Zionism, uh, Zionist domination of our media, uh, to some extent of our financial sector, uh, the problem with that is not so much the ethnicity of the people involved, at least I don't think it is. I think the problem is that there's a genocide happening in occupied Palestine. And this particular story this week from Alitho News gives us a very good summary of the genocide of Palestine. Uh, 172,000 uh, homes destroyed, 1.3 million Palestinians expelled, uh, God knows how many killed. And this is just since the, this is not the Nakba or the Palestinian Holocaust itself. This is in the aftermath, uh, including right up until today. So it's an ongoing slow motion genocide. And the, my, my issue with pro-Zionists controlling uh, the American media, political system and financial sector isn't that I care which ethnicity they are. It's the fact that these people are conspiring to commit genocide. And that, frankly, is a war crime. And so most of the leaders of our media, financial sector, and politics really should be on trial in The Hague. Well, it's based on the German genocide. What what you saw is a replay of what happened to Germany after World War II. The ferocious ethnic cleansing in the East uh, the demonization of the people that were being ethnically cleansed. And then uh, the difference is that the, the Germans went along with it. They, they accepted it. They've internalized the commands of their oppressors and the Palestinians have not. And that's why that's, it seems to me the only difference between these two things. It's always been in the cards here. So along with the Palestinians who have not internalized the commands of their oppressors, the Irish stand out for a long history of rebelling against a certain similar kind of repression and genocide. Now the Irish are in, oh, wait a second. Before we get to the Irish, we have another story, don't we? Or did we, uh, no, we, I think, did we miss that uh, Israel was behind 9-11, 15A slide? Um, maybe we uh, we missed that slide. So just very briefly, uh, in Ireland, uh, various members of parliament are under attack from the Zionist lobby 
for basically telling the truth about the genocide of Palestine and for blaming Israel for the attack on the Twin Towers uh, and for describing uh, Zionist Jewishness as, quote unquote, tribal sociopathy. So uh, I guess our Irish ancestors uh, spirit fighting spirit still lives on in some of the uh, current Irish members of parliament. Yeah, I met uh, 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 Nick and uh, Claire when we were in uh, Tehran. Uh, the the vehicle is the left, okay, in, in Ireland. That's the only the only vehicle of protest that is left here in Ireland, and it manifests itself as support for the Palestinian people. Unfortunately, the the left has been taken over by the sexual liberationists. And the the downside of this is that it led to the moral corruption of the Irish people, which led to their complete capitulation to rule by Google and the other uh, uh, big tech oligarchs who orchestrated uh, a referenda on uh, gay marriage and also abortion. Uh, so that was a catastrophe for the Irish people, largely because the left uh, got involved in it because they've always been supportive of sexual liberation. So uh, the story isn't entirely a happy one uh, in Ireland uh, from your perspective, Mike. It's not but happy. I, I... It's not happy at all. I'm glad that they're standing up for the Palestinians. I'm glad, you know, good for you. But the price that you have to pay is the moral corruption that the left always brings with it because it always promotes sexual liberation. That's been a catastrophe for Ireland. Okay. Well, I'm not going to argue with you there because we have uh, another 15 stories to go through, uh, starting with a couple of earth-shaking historic stories such as, is the death of the McDonald's McBagel good for the Jews? I mean, this is the old Jewish joke, is that, you know, your Uncle Shlomo, it's, he opens up the paper and reads a story about, uh, you know, a, a, the, the dog catcher, and his only reaction is, is it good for the Jews? Well, if you read the Jewish Daily Forward, and I do, and there's some good stuff, some stuff I agree with in there, and it's, it's, not as, it's not just total one-sided propaganda all the time, but there are an awful lot of, is it good for the Jews stories? And this one about the death of McDonald's McBagel is uh, kind of amusing. How could they go on for like two or 3,000 words about the McDonald's McBagel? Uh, I mean, you know, <laughs> a food critic forced to write for 3,000 words about the McDonald's McBagel, is it good for the Jews? I mean, this guy is a genius just to be able to pump this article out. I, I, I think the bagel is one of the most inedible pieces of food I have ever. I have well, now ever. we know you're an anti-Semite. Now, I know this sounds like you don't like locks on it either. I, 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 even with locks and bagel. It's good with I, locks on it. It's delicious. Locks and cream cheese and with, onions. Even with locks and cream cheese on it, the bagel is just inedible. It's just, I don't they boil Man. it. It's just have to chew it and chew it and chew it. I'm going to report you to the ADL for saying that, Mike. I know. You, I, and that's why you put this slide up. You knew that I was going to say that. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it, it, seriously, though, isn't it interesting that, as this article points out, nobody objected to the ham and bacon bagels that McDonald's and these other fast food outlets put out? Like, you would think that Jews, who supposedly don't eat pork, would be a little upset that their ethnic food is being appropriated by these hideous fast food corporations, which are then sticking haram, uh, pork and bacon on it. But no, not a, not a peep approach. I'll tell you something, Mike, if, if somebody started selling Moroccan couscous full of ham, bacon and sausage, the Moroccans would not stand for it. No. And look, I've been in India. You go to McDonald's in India, you know what you get? You get chicken. That's it. End of story. 
because any other meat on that on that bread will lead to a riot and people dying. Okay, so if you put the cow on there, the Muslims oh, will die. Cow. If you put the pork on there, the Hindus will die. So it's uh, that, that's a place where they take McDonald's seriously, and McDonald's capitulated by just selling chicken. Okay, well, that, this was our, our first Is It Good for the Jews food story. Um, <laughs> our next Is It Good for the Jews food story is uh, also from the wonderful Jewish Daily Forward. A shout-out to the forward. Uh, <laughs> uh, it turns out that Gwen Shamblin uh, went on the Larry King Show a while back, a long while back, and uh, promoted her diet book, which is like the Holocaust diet. And her point was, well, how in the Holocaust, how in the holy Holocaust did you have all these people getting down real skinny? They ate less food. So eating less food is the Holocaust diet. You know, I think there are a lot of Americans who could benefit from the Holocaust diet, but we're probably not supposed to say so because it's it's so tasteless and 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 schlocky and uh, and it's not good for the Jews, is it? No, because what you're, what you're talking about here is the question of why were they, why was there no food in the concentration camps? That's a dangerous question to propose because, uh, the Americans were responsible for it. The Americans and the British were bombing the rail lines and there was famine all across Germany at this point. As I've already mentioned, famine, uh, artificially imposed famine became the official policy of the United States in the Morgenthau plan. So when you bring this up, uh, you're always, it's leading to places where they really don't want to go. Well, I, I thought the most interesting part of this article was the discovery that big pharma biochemists have recently discovered that trace amounts of Zyklon B can depress the levels of neurotransmitters in the lower anterior cerebral medulla that control appetite. And so in a series of studies and focus, group, focus groups, I, uh, researchers discovered that being exposed to Holocaust propaganda 24-7, 365 can kill people's appetite for food and indeed for life itself. And so with only a modest increase in Holocaust propaganda, we could solve both the obesity and population problems. Hey, okay, let's move on to another story. We've, we've pretty much squeezed that one for all it's worth. How about BDS? Okay, Amazon and Google workers condemn Project Nimbus, uh, where Google is selling cloud services to the Israeli military. And they took the contract the same week that the Israeli military attacked Palestinians in Gaza and killed uh, 250 people, including 60 children. So good for the Google and Amazon workers for saying no to Project Nimbus. What happened to the union there, though? What 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 happened? Why isn't there? How do how do we know that the workers are saying anything when they don't have a union? Didn't they didn't Amazon ban the union or they had a referendum and they didn't allow the union or something like that? Well, the way everybody's quitting their jobs and stuff, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Maybe the uh, unions will be coming back to places like Amazon and Google. Um, but meanwhile, well, one more, one more. I'm, BDS. Yeah, I'm glad, glad they're saying it, but I, how? Who is the spokesman now? I mean, it seems to yeah. me that that's the question here. Well, it's kind of it's good that the the Guardian, uh, for all of its faults, at least published this story in a kind of a sympathetic way and making it sound as though these people are representative of the workers there. So they may know, very well be. That's that's yeah. that's may very well be the case. But yeah, we we don't really know. Uh, well, one more BDS story, uh, Sally, and, and an Ireland story, another uh, Irish anti-Zionist story. Sally Rooney, who's apparently a up and coming, best selling Irish author. Uh, 
got into a firestorm this week by refusing to let her book be translated into Hebrew and sold in occupied Palestine. And then she backtracked a little bit, but not very much, by saying that, well, I don't really mind it being in Hebrew if you can find a way to do that that's BDS compliant, meaning it won't be sold to the uh, settlers squatting in occupied Palestine. So I don't know why you would put it in Hebrew if you weren't going to sell it to the squatters in occupied Palestine. So I think she's actually uh, getting off on a technicality. Yeah, and why shouldn't it be translated into Hebrew? If it's a good book, uh, then the, the, the Israelis should, uh, uh, maybe you'll change their mind by allowing them to read it. I it sounds I mean, like Sheikh Amran Hussein's point of view. When we were in, in Tehran, I think you were there when Sheikh Amran Hussein was uh, coming out against BDS. He said, for Muslims, uh, boycotting things is not part of our history. The Jews are into boycotts. We don't do boycotts. We even trade with the enemy while we're fighting him. Yeah, it makes sense, especially if you're trafficking in ideas. And uh, this would help uh, change the mind of, of the Israelis. I, I think it's, it's, too, it's too narrowly focused. I think that's the problem here. The problem, you, you know, the uh, issue, uh, Miko Pelle got mad at me uh, in in Mashad when I said that we have to break the Jew taboo. You know, it's, I said, look, the reason we don't have a nuclear agreement is not the Israelis, it's three rich American Jews who basically forced Donald Trump's hand because they're a big contributors to his campaign. So we have to have a bigger picture here in order to deal with this issue more effectively. And of course, Miko would say you should say it was three rich American Zionists. Right, right. So, um, yeah, <laughs> so, so uh, that's that's a long discussion, like which words to use when. Uh, but we're going to move on to another part of the world first uh, and talk about Islam and uh, the wars on Islam in China. Uh, in the war on Islam news, and this is a, a front uh, from the war of Islam that we don't cover so much. The accusations uh, against young Muslim men who marry Hindu women in India, that they are engaging in sex or love jihad, I guess, love jihad. Is the concept. I like the idea of love jihad, right? Jihad yeah. just means effort or struggle or striving to, number one, be a better person, and if necessary, number two, defend your community. So doing those things through love sounds like a good idea to me, but then I guess I would get lynched in India if I tried that. Uh, I'm not talking about trying to marry Hindu girls. I'm just talking about, you know, love jihad. But uh, this looks like a serious problem there. I mean, it, the lynch mobs in India are just so out of control, always ready to take offense at something and to go after people. It's really pathetic. Yeah, make love jihad, not war. That's my my policy. There you go, make love jihad. Then. Maybe instead of truth jihad, I should change my website to love jihad. Of course, people yeah, think that, it was a porn site or something. Well, yeah. the, pro- the problem is the uh, ruling party in India, the RSS, uh, and Narendra Modi, who plays a double game here. He's a f- he supports this fanatical Hindu uh, nationalism, which is always ready to break out into riots uh, and kill Christians and Muslims. Uh, and it's, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, the BJP, the RSS is the, the civilian militia behind that. And they're, the, they're the fanatics that end up, uh, using this fundamental Hindu fundamentalism as a, a tool of violence against the other, uh, religious groups that live in India. It's a shameless exploitation of religious bigotry in order to stay in power, while at the same time, Modi is selling out his own labor force to the oligarchs by by trying to make it the cheap labor capital of the world. It's just despicable. That's right. And so Modi's India is maybe the most genocidal entity ever. You know, they make uh, make Hitler's Germany look pretty tame by comparison. 
Uh, they're planning to, and, and their express goal is to expel all non-Hindus from the entire Indian subcontinent, which would be the biggest genocidal ethnic cleansing in the history of humanity. So these people are completely psycho, way out of control. And yet the United States government, owned by the corporate oligarchs, loves Modi's India. Uh, it's apparently sort of a, it's on the side of the Zionists. They're part of the anti-Muslim genocide and it's a counterweight to China. They're anti-Chinese. And so that's the big geopolitical struggle now. And that's the big reason the U.S. is in bed with India and Israel right now is to, to fight China. And, uh, we don't have a lot of war on China news this week. We could have gathered more, but what we are going to talk about is this great article by Charles Freeman. Uh, or Chaz Freeman or whatever he calls himself. I thought Chaz was an autonomous zone. But anyway, he's one of the best uh, ex-diplomats, uh, one of the smartest American government officials I've ever encountered. And this is his article uh, based on a speech to a group of Chinese intellectual property officers discussing the background of the U.S.-China struggle in terms of the importance of economic and technological innovation in that struggle and how the U.S. strategy of going after China right now and decoupling from China is most likely suicidal. Well, it began with a suicidal policy, which was basically the outsourcing of American industry. Uh, the, the, the leverage buyouts, load these companies down with debt, uh, because we don't need them anymore. We're going to outsource all of our uh, manufacturing to China. Well, that's a that's suicide. That is manufacturing suicide. And you pursue that for years and years and years, and suddenly you realize you're on. You don't have the upper hand anymore, because they've got uh, the 5G advantage. They've got the chips. They're manufacturing all these essential things that are crucial to our um, our manufacturing bases, which has now become dependent on them. So, yeah, it was suicide to be, take this road in the first place. And, of course, by shipping our working class employment over to China and Asia and so on, uh, we gutted our productive economy, our industrial sector. And now we're in a situation where most people are doing worthless, uh, low paid, uh, boring, hideous jobs. And now people are getting sick of that and quitting them in August we had the great resignation, according to CBS News. The number of people quitting in August rose to 4.3 million people, which uh, dwarfed the number of layoffs from employers, which was 1.3 million. So that's a total of five and a half plus million people uh, leaving their jobs in August. Uh, the vast majority did it uh, voluntarily. So that leads to the next question. The next story from former Secretary of Labor Robert Reich, is America experiencing an unofficial general strike? Uh, he says that workers are leaving their jobs because they're burned out. They don't like their jobs. So maybe this is a rebellion against shipping the well-paid, meaningful labor over to China. Uh, but it may be a little late. Maybe we should have done this uh, 20 or 30 years ago. Yeah, they're doing the exact opposite of what they should be doing. They're sending out stimulus checks for people who are not working. Uh, and so as a result, you're, you're exacerbating the labor shortage right now. What you should be doing is raising wages. You should have been doing this for years and years and years. All of the computer, the productivity, the increased productivity, the surplus value that was created by the computer, all of it was stolen by the, by the oligarchs. There's one group that benefited from that, and it wasn't the worker. Now, the the place where the work where this is most acute, I think, is among women. 
because feminism was a, a, a false ideology. It was a lie from the beginning. The point of it was double the workforce and therefore your lower wages. And the women, uh, for in order to uh, access this dream, now had to take on two jobs. Okay, they had to work outside the house and then they had to come back home and work inside the house. And at the same time, all these women are being hired. It becomes less and less uh, likely that the man is going to be hired. So the burden is even more on the women as a result of this swindle. And so I think they're waking up to it. And maybe the stimulus check was the, the straw that broke the camel's back. And they're saying, or maybe the COVID. COVID combined with the stimulus check combined with a crappy job. And suddenly they're saying, I'm out of here. All right. Well, there are a lot of folks who agree with you that wages should be raised. And in fact, it's starting to happen. Uh, CBS News tells us that $21 is the new $15 minimum wage and that even banking is being hit by labor shortages from this unofficial general strike. Um, hospitals, restaurants, and farms are especially hard hit. And so uh, a number of the biggest companies are, in fact, raising their wages. Amazon is up to $18 for its entry-level jobs. Banks are now around $18. Walmart is still at $12, and Target is $15. So I kind of feel sorry for those $12 workers at Walmart who are then uh, forced to go to their diversity training workshops and have uh, people yell at them for uh, being privileged racists. I don't know if you're making 12 bucks an hour in Walmart. I'm not sure how privileged you are. No, and that was always been the swindle. The the, the feminist lawyers would decree uh, 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 rules that were filled by women who were just disadvantaged and did, couldn't take advantage of those big jobs and so on and so forth. Even the feminist lawyers, I had an incident, I'm sitting on a park bench in Washington Square in New York, and there's a lawyer lady telling her other lawyer friend, she said, I woke up, at, I was sitting at, at at my, on my, in my apartment, eating my cheese sandwich at midnight last night, and I realized my life was over. I had this big job at a prestigious law firm, and I, 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 that's all I did, 70 hours a week, and now I never got married, I never have children, and now my life is over. That may be kicking in right now as well. They're starting to wake up and realize it was a swindle from the beginning. So maybe a new great awakening is happening. And one of the things we need to awaken to is the threat of transhumanism, because those transhumanists think that, hey, fine, all the workers quit. We'll just replace them with robots and AI. Here's a great article by Scott Howard at Occidental Observer, uh, that notorious white supremacist website, which actually publishes a lot of interesting good stuff, including this article. Uh, the he, he discusses how AI uh, which is part of this transhumanist agenda, is deeply embedded in elite institutions across several countries. So I talked about this with Tessa Lena on the radio show last night. And uh, when reading this article, Mike, I thought of you when he went over what appears to be a very serious Jewish overrepresentation in transhumanism. That is not religious Jewish, but uh, people from ethnic Jewish backgrounds seem to be wildly overrepresented in the transhumanist movement, which openly is aiming to basically put an end to humanity by bringing on the singularity. The singularity is when some kind of mixture of AI and uh, uh, what is it? AI, genetic engineering, uh, and nanotechnology escapes from the lab. Uh, it has autonomy. It decides what it wants to do. What it wants to do is thrive and grab all the available energy, not just from sunlight, but from uh, living things, which are food, and it eats everything. And now it creates the new 
uh, dominant life, quote unquote, life form, an electronic uh, life form called the gray goo is one way it could happen. And these guys like Ray Kurzweil uh, and uh, Eliza Shlomo Yedkowski uh, are saying, bring it on, bring on the singularity, murder the entire human race. Uh, and Ray Kurzweil also has another great saying, which is, does God exist? I would say, not yet. I'm going to make him in my test tube, and he's going to be gray goo that's going to kill everything. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, you, the, the protocols of the elders of Zion and, and other anti-Semitic propaganda can't make up villains like this. No, there, this is also uh, Nova, Noah Juval Harari, who is yeah. the official smartest Jew in the world right now. And he's all over the world publishing books like Sapiens, which is, is enough to make a grown man cry. It's so full of ignorance of philosophy. He makes one stupid error after another. Yeah. But I there agree. is I this, there is this, uh, this Jewish fantasy, uh, that all goes back all the way to the Garden of Eden, which is probably where he got it, where the Satan says to Eve, you will be like gods if you follow this program. And this is, this is their, their thinking that be, we can abolish humans and we'll all become like gods and the machines will take over. It's preposterous. It's, it's science fiction, but because they propose it, everyone's supposed to take it seriously. Well, it's, it's dystopian science fiction and we're all supposed to cheer for it and make it happen. I mean, this is insane. I mean, that, that's like George Orwell trying to convince everybody to make the world of 1984 come true. But, you know, what are you going to do? These people, I guess there's a great void in, uh, in religion right now and it's being filled by all kinds of diabolical substitutes. Oh boy. So, uh, let, let's move on to the hate speech category. Uh, oh, here's some serious hate speech. Uh, Colin Wright, an evolutionary biologist and the managing editor of Quillette, was censored by Instagram for posting a peer-reviewed paper showing male advantages in certain sports activities. So if you notice that overall, uh, people with XY chromosomes and uh, 30 times as much testosterone as the other type of people with the, with the two X chromosomes actually are better performers in things like uh, tackle football and so on. Uh, that makes you not only an honest realist uh, who's not completely insane, but it also makes you uh, a hate speech practitioner who needs to be banned from speaking the truth. Yeah, well, this is also going to take care of itself because the logic, this juggernaut, this uh, anti-human juggernaut is now into uh, transsexuality where a guy can simply declare that he's uh, a woman and compete in women's sports and obliterate Title IX. Yeah, I can't keep saying, if I'd known this in high school, I would have been the, the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar of the girls' basketball team. That's maybe right. Maybe the Shaq, actually, because I could have pushed him around and, and yeah. gone to the hoop. Yeah, that would That's have been right. Yeah. That's right. So it's going to take care of itself. This this will eat itself up. The the twisted ideology will destroy itself. And all we have to do is uh, watch as uh, Martina Navratilova is declared a domestic terrorist because she said that women can't compete against men in tennis. And, and so speaking of sports and politically incorrect speech, how about this uh John Gruden episode where uh, Matt Taibbi wrote a wonderful satire of uh, Gruden uh, being canceled, 
I mean, he's, he's so canceled that Wikipedia or Alexa tells us that Wikipedia says John Daniel Gruden is an American former professional ice hockey defenseman. And I, like, I've had the same thing happen. I, I got, you know, I had a big Wikipedia page full of lies for a long time and I protested after like eight years or something. Then suddenly it just disappeared. And the next thing you know, Kevin Barrett is some like a uh, little known hockey player. So <laughs> I guess, uh, being canceled. Uh, has some benefits in a way of getting rid of bad Wikipedia pages, but this, this Gruden piece by Matt Tybee was a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm Mike, I, I'm thankful to Wikipedia because it took down my Wikipedia page because it was all lies about me anyway. So thank you for so, so Is E. Michael me. Jones a hockey player now? Uh, no, I haven't made it that far, but, uh, the, once again, we have the conflict here between political correctness and labor shortage. Uh, is the guy good as a coach or not? Or can you simply trump that with political correctness and destroy football as uh, something that was supposed to keep people in a state of pacification from the beginning? Didn't they get the memo here? Don't they know the real memo about professional sports? Well, it's professional sports, it, it bread and circuses to keep us pacified, but we also need fear propaganda to keep us down. And, um, for all of the, there, there's a lot of things that we really could be afraid of in the world, such as that slow motion, long term, but perhaps a very grave threat of climate change, aka global warming. Um, Alan, our producer sent us this story that the Bay Area, it will soon be swamped by the rising oceans. So I'm planning on investing in beachfront property in the Twin Peaks neighborhood of San Francisco, which is way up on the hill in the middle of the city. I intend to eventually have a house with a view of the ocean right up to my front door and the bay right up to my back door. Unfortunately, that may not happen in my lifetime. Uh, actually, fortunately, it may not happen in my lifetime. I hate to see the sea level uh, rise to swallow everything but one house at the top of Twin Peaks. There's a more uh, immediate threat, and that's that volcano in uh, the Canary Islands. Uh, really? If, if Is that, that worse than the Yellowstone one? Well, if that if that does what Mount St. Helens did, Mount St. Helens blew off an entire half of a mountain uh, and c- killed forests and so on and so forth. If that goes in the ocean, Half the volcano goes in the ocean. That will cause a tsunami that would probably wipe out uh, Miami or uh, a lot of cities along the East Coast, depending on which direction it took. So that could be a real threat right now. Yeah, I saw that report. And and there are some real apocalyptic threats. And I, I actually think climate change might be one of them. Then there's also, of course, the solar storm threat. Uh, if we had an EMP like we had back in the, what, 1840s or something, that's the end of all of our electronics and, uh, built, rebuilding the power grid might take decades. Uh, I think it would be Mad Max country then. And you could come up with a long list of these possible, uh, apocalyptic threats. I think comets and asteroids are pretty far down the list, at least in the anytime, you know, soon future. But the real threat, uh, Mike was revealed this week. The real threat is, Deodorants. Deodorants are worse for our air pollution than cars. They cause more smog than the cars. And according to this story, 78% of smog-causing chemicals in New York were from either paint or personal care products. And by paint, I suppose they maybe meant women's makeup. I don't know. Anyway, the shampoos, perfumes, deodorants, and lotions are are choking us. And they learned this because NASA drove a sniffer van all over New York and proved it. So we're going to have to ban deodorants to stop air pollution and... Promote social distancing. In a deodorant-free world, everybody would just naturally stand six feet apart. Hey, I think we just solved all the problems of the world. Yeah, that's the solution. Are we supposed to now come out in favor of deodorants because these people came out against them? Is that the dialectic here? I don't 
I don't Deodorant know. Liberation League, here we come. Okay, I, th- I think we've run out of things to talk about here at False Lake. We need so thank you, Dr. E. Michael Jones. It's always fun doing the show with you. Keep up the good work, and God bless. Thank you. Okay, take care, and see you all next week.